Hi there, Glocal Citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I'm Florence Adu here in Accra, and I'm at a cute little spot called Thea. It's a little tea house restaurant in the airport residential area of Accra. And so you will be hearing the ambient noise of our environs, but we hope you enjoy uh, sitting down with us today. My guest is the CEO and co-founder of nonprofit Crescendo Foods. Ghana's first commercial kitchen space and culinary hub based in Accra. She has over 10 years experience leading programs, strategic partnerships, and economic evaluation initiatives throughout the African continent. Previously, she was a senior economic program advisor in the U.S. Department of State's Office of Global Women's Issues. During her first stint living in Accra in 2018, she founded Young Gifted in Brown LLC, a pipeline program supporting young Ghanaian women and entrepreneurs in STEM. In 2018, she was named by New America as one of 35 Black American national security and foreign policy next generation leaders. In 2019, young professionals and foreign policy named her the Gender Issues in Foreign Policy Fellow. A Food Science Fellowship Award endowment in her name was established in 2013 to provide fellowship funding for underrepresented graduate students in the Department of Food, Bioprocessing, and Nutrition Sciences at North Carolina State University. Dr. Juanita Lewis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Florence. It's great to be here. So let's get started. Let's get on the map with what we're talking about today. So first and foremost, where are you from? Where are you local? And what is your craft? Sure. So my name is Dr. Juanita Lewis. I'm Dr. W or Dr. Wani is what I'm called in Ghana. Mm -hmm. I was born in Philadelphia, raised in South Jersey. And I've been living in Accra now since 2020. Um, I actually lived here before in 2018 and was moving my stuff over in 2019 and made the jump officially in 2020, way before the pandemic even came. And my, I actually live in West Legon, which okay. is, you know, not too far from University of Ghana, Legon. And uh, my craft is agriculture, helping entrepreneurs, and yoga. Mmm, <laughs> yes. That's what, I, well, that wasn't in the bio, but I, I purposefully didn't put it in the <laughs> sneak it into the conversation. Sure. A fellow yogi, yes, we have here indeed. Okay, so how did you come to be living, working, and playing here in Accra? So you had an, a stint before, mm -hmm. so this is my why the where. Why the where? Why Ghana? Right, so for me, I've always wanted to live outside of the U.S. It was never a point in my life where I'm like, all right, I'm going to be here for, you know, be in America for the rest of my life. I think I've always saw myself as more transient. Mm -hmm. And I saw that throughout my career. And so I used to work for the U.S. Department of State. Um, I was a AAAS fellow, which was specifically for early to late career professionals who are coming from more of a technical background and want to work in the U.S. government's uh, executive branch. So I worked at the U.S. Department of State doing ag policy, um, and I would have never thought of being at state. 
just mm. because I wanted I didn't I didn't know what the State Department did at the time. I think a lot of Americans don't. They mm-hmm. won't admit it. Mm-hmm. And they had an ag policy office and everything mm. that I wanted to do, which was travel because I was just coming out of my first kind of big girl job after finishing my PhD mm-hmm. and I was like I want to travel. I loved traveling as a kid, more so as I should say as a teenager. Both of my parents have traveled, you know, and I wanted to continue that life. So I did a lot of great achievements in the two years that I was at State as a AAAS fellow before working for women, the Women's Issues Office. And uh, one of my, my big tasks was working on women in agriculture. And I knew about that life of being a woman in ag, being mm-hmm. very few black women in food science, just in general. Mm-hmm. And I created this uh, gender strategy that the department, actually the, the bureau I was in, which was the Econ Bureau, they never had that before. Mm. So I laid out this entire strategy. It was like, these are the activities we need to do. So I launched this Women in Ag Policy Dialogue Series, which we connected women in D.C. to come and talk about different issues that they saw in ag. And then launched a, um, a broad, you know, a much global platform where we were doing policy talks and workshops on the continent. So the first one was in Ethiopia, the second one was in Accra, third one was in Pretoria, South Africa, okay. and then we're going to have a fourth one in Monrovia, Liberia. Okay. And when I came to Accra in 2017, I you know was here for a week and a half. You don't really get a chance to see sure. anything because you're working on right. the conference the whole time. Right. It was just a one-day workshop. And this one lady came up to me, the boss of the office I ended up working in at that late, later on that year, or the next year. She said, oh, you know how do you feel about coming to live in Accra for a couple months? And I was like, well, I mean, hey, I don't, I'm not married, I don't have any kids, then sure, I'll go ahead and do it. Uh-huh. And I moved here in 2018, and I worked with women in, uh, women in ag, women in STEM, I did a lot of entrepreneurs, which is where I was able to, you know, launch a Young Gifted program through the embassy. Oh, wow. And, okay. uh, and that had never been done before. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what, I... Like Ghana, I felt very free here. I was just be able to experience a different life. But I will also say the caveat is I've traveled to other countries, mm-hmm. right? And I was able to see, you know, compare and contrast what I wanted. Also thinking of how can, if I need to go home, mm-hmm. how can I get home very quickly? Because mm-hmm. my parents are still on the East Coast, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. at the time, well, they have it now, but definitely back then they had that direct flight from South Africa Airlines that went yes. from D.C. Right. It was a nine-hour flight. Sure. So it wasn't yeah. that big of a deal. Yeah. And also, too, like my French isn't as, as great as I would like for it to be. <laughs> um, so it came to Ghana. And I also have family that comes back and forth. My cousin's husband is Ghanaian. Okay. And I was actually supposed to come to Ghana in 2013 after finishing my Ph.D. as a graduation gift. Uh-huh. But it didn't come into fruition. So okay. the funny thing is when I came, he was here uh-huh. visiting family and we were able to meet. Oh, nice. You know, so you got a little bit of the local mm-hmm. experience. Yeah, definitely, right? definitely. Yeah. And anytime he comes to town, you know, he's in the 70s, I go by and I oh, wow. see him. Okay. And then, yeah, and then his daughter, we're a year apart. Okay. I'm older, so she'll be here like Christmas time. Oh, and nice. we'll be able to hang out as adults like in Ghana. Sure, so, sure, yeah. sure, sure. Oh, wow. Okay, that's very cool. So what is the AAAS Sure, it's program? the American Association for the Advancement of Science. Ah, okay. So they're an organization in D.C., and they have these science policy fellows. They have different fellowships, like for people who are interested in media, communications. But I applied to the science technology science and technology policy fellowship Hmm. it's very hard to get into i you know specifically for american i think citizens 
Yeah, yeah, American citizens. I was going to say, you can be a dual citizen, uh-huh. but if you're working at the State Department, you got to go through security clearance. Right. And that take and take forever, right. even if you haven't gone anywhere. Sure. Um, yeah. But it was interesting. Like, a lot of my friends were <laughs> dual citizens, and then, mm. you know, that I work with at the State Department, you know, their parents are maybe, you know, Middle yeah. Eastern and something. Right, so, right, 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 right. Oh, interesting. Okay. And then, so you, a lot of well, my understanding a lot of times is a lot of people who work in these kinds of roles are part of the Foreign Service. Mm. So this was that, that was not part of your story, Mm-mm. right? Okay. I, was civil, I was civil servant. I was definitely courted to be a Foreign Service right. officer. Right, right. Um, especially from other people of color. And they're like, oh, we need join, you. Uh, join yeah. the Foreign Service. You're doing all this great work. Yeah. And, and I did a lot of things outside of the State Department. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a German Marshall Fund Marshall Memorial Fellow as well in 2015 before I joined the State Department mm-hmm. and it allowed me to go to, to Europe for a month with another cohort. That was an even, even bigger feat at the time yeah. because they really don't, they, they're very strict of who they pick and huh. um, as a result of that I wanted to launch a transatlantic because they specifically focus on transatlantic relationships. So okay. the U.S. and Europe and Eastern Europe okay. and I think they're now expanding into other countries outside of those two con- continents okay. and I launched a my, you know myself and a sorority sister of mine who was also in my cohort we launched the Transatlantic Women of Color Conference where we connected working hmm. with GMF we connected with all these women who were you know we had like Senator Shirley Jackson Lee oh, okay. who always has the big mm-hmm. hairstyle so mm-hmm. we had her come <laughs> we had Linda Thomas Greenfield she came, so I mean, we had some like heavy hitters, Gina Amercumbie Wynn Stanley, mm. who's now the DEI expert for the U.S. Department of State. Mm-hmm. It was a great, you know, time, and we did it twice, you know. So the thing is, I think when you're in these roles, there's so many, you know, there's way to be in this world without having to be right. associated with the government. Because right. at that time, I was just waiting for security clearance. I was just coming out of private sector, right? You know, so yeah. me, a girl working on toaster strudel, was able to launch, <laughs> you know, launch this and be able to, you know, bring. For me, it's always about making sure people are in, it's inclusive and especially yeah. for black women yeah 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 nice nice okay so you I purposely didn't talk about your degrees because I wanted you to talk about your degrees <laughs> <laughs> and your relationship to STEM so tell us more about your your background and inspiration for even kind of coming to your craft so it's funny I'm the only scientist in my family mm. uh, my sister is an architect my mother is a retired music teacher found that years later she wanted to be a chemist oh uh, my dad is a recreate is also retired recreational therapist and uh, moonlights as a photographer as, <laughs> as his is his passion and you know for me it's the importance of humanities right a lot mm. of the times uh, people think that if you come from a technical background you come from a technical family we're all very analytical in our own way mm-hmm. um, but definitely very creative and, you know, I had a, the microscope. I had a telescope as a kid. I didn't go to any STEM camps. You know, I was in music because I have a music teacher mother. mother right. And I played professionally. I was classically trained to play the French horn. So oh, I, wow. I competed. I did all these okay. things. And my I have a cousin who was a surgeon. And he, I thought what he did was so cool. And that's when Ben Carson was really, oh, like, at the peak of his right. career. And I was like, I'm going to be a pediatric neurosurgeon. And I decided, you know, when it came to college, like, yeah, I applied to, like, the Georgetown. I applied to, you know, other institutions. But I really felt like I wanted to go to a historically black college. Mm-hmm. And I did. I went to St. Augustine's College, now University. And it was one of the, 
I, you know, it's funny because at first I was like, I don't want to be in North Carolina. I wanted to be like in Atlanta. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. You know, I was like, it was like year 2000, <laughs> you know, 2001. I was like, I want to be in Atlanta. And I, and I remember my mom saying to me, give it a year. If you don't like it, then you can transfer. Sure, sure, sure. And of course, you know, most people, when they get exposed to, you know, HBCU homecomings, you're like, you know what? I actually like where I'm at. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And I was actually going to major in psychology. No, why? Because my cousin, who was the surgeon, was like, major That's in psychology. You can take all the STEM classes you can, and they'll just help you. Okay. You understand know, that under- space. Yeah. Right, and then it. it's an easy. You know, it's a little bit easier because I think everybody assumes they need to apply. You know, be in a STEM. Yeah. You know. He's like, no, like. I have a psychology degree. He's like, I went to University of Michigan. Like, you know, a really, like, amazing school, yeah. right? Especially for him being, like, a really good surgeon. And he yeah. was, you know, later on, he was on the board for Howard's Hospital. Hmm. And then decided to go back into practicing. Because um, he was like, eh, administration is not my thing. Mm-hmm. And so I majored in psychology. And then before I left, I was also on a, a band scholarship. And my band director... Who uh, has wait? So you had a band scholarship yes. to university? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. You, this is a real musician here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I had. I, I had a, I, yeah. I had a band scholarship or orchestra scholarship. Yeah. And you know, he said to me, "Have you thought about majoring in chemistry?" And I was like, "What chemistry? I mean, I like chemistry. It's cool." And then. He's like, you know, they have money available. I was like, well, you know, okay, we'll see what happens. And mm. they that helped me to have a full ride mm. to St. Aug. Mm-hmm. And I majored in chemistry. And when I finished, that was a long life. It was like four <laughs> years. And I was like, I'm tired of laugh. And when it came down to grad school, I had a job opportunity to work for the ATF, which is the tobacco and firearm or agency oh, for tobacco and firearm or okay. something in dc okay and i just knew i was going to be the hot like the hot stuff because i was like oh i'm going to be making thirty thousand dollars <laughs> and you know it's 2005 i'm like right. i could afford that and i remember my parents like can you really afford that it's like thirty thousand dollars that wasn't a lot it wasn't a lot at all so i decided to apply for grad programs and i was just like putzing around like oh maybe i'm gonna get a master's in engineering i I'm not an engineering mind. I'm very creative. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> and my band director came to the rescue and was like, okay, well, why don't you apply to North Carolina Central? It's another HBCU. It's 20 minutes away, 30 minutes away, actually. It was in Durham. Uh-huh. And I said, okay, and maybe I'll apply to get a chemistry, a master's in chemistry or something. And I applied to, actually, I think I was getting ready to apply to Tuskegee, and I'm just so glad I didn't do that because I was like, oof, I've been, I've been to Alabama Two to three times since then, and I was yeah. like, I know my level of role. I mean, I I have friends, great friends who went to Tuskegee. They had an amazing experience. Sure. And I was like, let me stick to the lakes and the rivers that I'm used to, and <laughs> and I'm cool with Raleigh. And uh-huh. so I ended up moving to Durham. I got okay. my master's in chemistry. Okay. And you know, decided. You know, I I I mean, I had decided in undergrad. I was like, I don't want to be a pediatric neurosurgeon anymore. And I ended up having an internship. To end up being a two year internship working in food science, doing product development, and mm. I worked with the only black professor at NC State. Mm. And so he became a mentor, still is to this day. Sure. And, uh, you know, when it came to me changing my master's thesis, because I was doing drug design, and I was like, you know, I actually like food. So I did a project mm. on wine for like an adver- advanced thermodynamics class. 
Interesting. Yeah, which is so funny because I was like, I would have never thought I would like advanced thermodynamics. But I... I get it, though. I like thermodynamics. Really? Yeah. Well, so I'm an engineer. Oh, yeah. And so my my material science class, that's that part of it. I was like, ooh, I really like this. Like, that was one of my favorite my yeah probably one of my most favorite like real engineering mm-hmm. courses because I didn't major in like engineering engineer I majored in now they call it management science and engineering okay so it was industrial engineering gotcha. so basically we did a general you could choose which classes and material science was just interesting to me and I loved it so yeah I get the yeah, yeah. and I hated PKIM too any like quantum mechanics yeah it's like it, it, there's not a real answer if you're telling me my only response is zero one or infinity there's nothing I can do about that and <laughs> it is tricky yeah it's very tricky <laughs> and yeah so I was like this is <laughs> this isn't my thing it's, it's not my thing so I decided to uh, you know get my PhD and I was thinking about getting my PhD in chemistry and I said you know why don't I just get my PhD in food science and oh, okay. yeah. I decided to you know attend and then attend nc state with my mentor being a, a part of my mat my dissertation committee uh-huh. and uh yeah i let you know graduated in 2013 which seems so long ago i might finish in 2012 but graduated in 2013 and then went to go work in product development at general mills for three and a half years so that makes a lot of sense so that transition makes a lot of sense so but let me ask you what is a food scientist huh there's it's not it's not easy, uh-huh. you know. It's not no, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it depends. A lot of times when people hear food scientists, they think nutritionists. Mm. And mm-hmm. food science, it, it can be four or five different things. It's usually you could either be a nutritionist, a food chemist, which they look at the chemical compounds that make up, you know, a flavor that can make mm. up a food that can look at why these things are synergistic and not. Sure. There's food bioprocessors. They're looking at the processing. Mm-hmm. of everything then there's food engineering mm-hmm. and then I, the food microbiologists and those people mm-hmm. look at the outbreaks they can look at pathogens mm-hmm. you know why is there typhoid you know what happens when you like food, and that gets into like food safety mm-hmm. and so I even though my two degrees are in chemistry I was kind of turning it more to a biochemist because yeah. I looked at the effects on the body that's all like that was my master's thesis right. looking at the effects of grapes you know and it was looking at compounds within grapes yeah and then when I got to my PhD I looked at the compounds within the peanut or they say groundnut here skin and that's that red thin paper layer that we throw away in the states right and so that's what I did and so I was looking at stuff on a molecular biological level sure so I always say I'm more of a food biochemist for me but I mean to do product development everybody has to take product development class and that just means like understanding you know how why these things go together why these ingredients do this and you right. have to understand all these things yeah right like so food science may be very broad you can be very specific but you have to understand or have the basic knowledge of food chemistry right and my biggest issue when I started when I took a food chemistry class was I was used to doing drug synthesis so mm. I knew how to mm-hmm. go all the way to the end of the product you know to get the yield and my food chemistry class they only went to like step two <laughs> It used to be the bane of my existence. <laughs> and I had to alter my mind, but it helped me understand, like, okay, this is what you need to do X, Y, and Z. Like, a lot of people aren't great bakers. Baking is not easy. Sure. Baking is literally a science. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a science. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. That's very interesting. So so what was one of your favorite projects or products that you worked on in that role at General Mills? 
Oh man. You know what? I probably said I didn't have one. I mean, oh, I was just, I mean, I worked okay. on biscuits. I worked on toaster strudel dough. I worked on icing. Uh-huh. I, I think maybe maybe it was the biscuits because we had blueberry biscuits. Blueberry? And, yeah. Oh, like, okay, so was it the mix or the actual? The actual, the, like I did frozen dough. Oh, so there's okay, the mix, okay, there was okay. the mix Yeah, the people. ones that you roll out. Yeah, uh-huh. and we did, yeah, so I didn't work in the mixing. I was frozen baked goods. So I worked okay. in frozen stuff. Okay. And it was cool when you got a chance to do product innovation because you could buy stuff from different you know, different competitors sure. and then do your compare and contrast and be like, okay, this is actually what I want to create. Yeah. I remember I was trying to work on a sweet potato biscuit at one point because mm. that was like a big thing in the South. Okay, right. And so, yeah, it was cool. I mean, I will say I enjoyed working with various partners. You know, I worked with a company in Toronto. Even to this day, I have a relationship with them. Okay. But it was cool. I mean, it was an interesting time, like working in a baked good industry it could be very fattening because i knew people in the cookie department right people in frosting you never had to really get lunch or breakfast well yeah i mean but after a while you're like i'm not gonna eat (laughs) too much sugar yeah Yeah, too much sugar but you would smell bread as you walked in but if i had to go to a party yeah i didn't buy anything i just went called somebody Ah, and say hey what do you have extra inventory of yeah just come down and get such and such or it would be a situation where you know they would have giveaways Right. You know, we're giving away, hey, there's free bread, take a yeah. loaf. And if you're like, oh, well, I'm actually making spaghetti tonight. <laughs> let me go ahead and grab that. Sure. So. Yeah. That sounds so cool. So, so okay. So you're, you're in this food science space. You're in the baked goods space. And then you transition. So you, you mentioned how you kind of started to get into this policy side. Mm-hmm. So, so how does a product developer now become a policy scientist? That part was very... <sighs> It's, it can be difficult because when you're coming from, I would even say, even backing up from there, coming from grad school to working in corporate America is very mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. You know, in grad school, we're taught to tell a story and, you know, and you're you're telling the facts and figures. But when you come to corporate America or a business environment, they just want to know how much it's going to cost. Yeah. And then when you go to a policy, they want to, depending on what side of it you're on, if you're an impact or you know, you're doing diplomacy, they want a little bit more, you have to go back to having that fluff. Yeah. And at the time, it was under the Obama administration, it was the very tail end, so everybody's like, oh, you know, tell me a story. And then, you know, the when it was the Trump administration, that was interesting because a lot of my colleagues struggled. Um, they were so used to being able, because you get the same type of politicians all the mm-hmm. time, where it's like, tell me a story. And it's like, well, these people are business folks. They want to know how much it's going to cost. They want to know the bottom line. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I, I would definitely say I struggled through both. For me, I mean, policy was a little bit easier, but I had a great me- mentor. I think at any job, if you have a great mentor, it helps your life so much. Right. And because I was used to doing writing back in grad school, I was used to writing papers. Sure. So it wasn't, but you know, you don't, you're not going to write a 10 to 15 page policy paper. You may write like yeah. maybe yeah. two pages. Yep. And you know, you're trying to gather all these things. I think what I had to learn, the, the one thing I, I wouldn't say struggled, but had to wrap my head around was the amount of time. Mm-hmm. Because in grad school, mm-hmm. you may have mm-hmm. months or weeks and most of the time, depending on what your issue is in the government, it may be a matter of minutes yeah. or days. Yeah. You may get a week. That's right. lucky. Yeah. And that means if you have a week, that includes everybody's approval. Yes. And mm-hmm. I mean, what was cool is that you would get an email from somebody that says, I need your, your okay. And it'd be like one word in this entire 20 page document. <laughs> and you're like, 
that's all you know or right. you would add in whatever so I would definitely say I was fortunate because my mentor was also a former AAAS fellow okay she mm-hmm. was a desk officer and that's mm. more intense because they were focusing on one country and most of the, and all their issues and mm. if you have somebody that's kind of re- like laid back you know it's maybe not too bad but I think she worked on like Iran so it was like Oh, in a the nineties, yeah, and in the nineties, so it was sure. just like a lot, yeah. you know. So it just really depends. But she was a great, great mentor, mm-hmm. and just helped me meet whoever I needed to meet. Told me to ask as many questions I needed to ask. No, no question was stupid. Mm-hmm. And I tried to do a, a jump into policy at General Mills, but it wasn't very, um, it wasn't very helpful because I didn't have the right people in my mm-hmm. corner to mm-hmm. see me mm-hmm. be successful. In that space. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like I also knew I didn't want to live in Minneapolis for a long period of time. Okay, got it, got it. So how long were you there? Three and a half years. Okay, all right. And so from Minneapolis, you came. To D.C. To D.C., right. And so then that's where you mm-hmm. were, the, the fellowship. So your transition was in the fellowship space. Yeah. Right. Except for, yeah, General Mills was probably the first job mm-hmm. that I actually had to apply for. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I applied for jobs, but actually go through an interview being flying, you know, I'm going to say flew out, you yeah. know, flew out somewhere. <laughs> they packed up my stuff and moved me. Oh, it was wow. Nice. You got a whole package. Yeah, I had a right. whole package. I had a signing bonus. Uh-huh. And when I moved to D.C., I called my friends over and I was like, listen, I'm ordering pizza. Can yeah. You know, help can you me help? Pack, <laughs> pack my crap. And I put my stuff on this truck and drove it across the country no I didn't even drive uh, I said I refused um, um, they, I, someone else they movers did it yeah well yeah, yeah I just no I, I hired some movers to okay. move me and yeah. I was like let me and I had it at my parents house until my clearance was almost done okay because during that time I wanted to work finish up my yoga teacher training because I ah, started it right you know my okay. last year being in Minnesota so I was like let me just finish up doing what I need to do and then I'll go okay and then that's exactly what I did so it was um, it was interesting like just having to go through all of that you know I don't I don't have any regrets I mean maybe one or two it's like oh I should have really finished up my French training when I was in grad school but you know (laughs) other than that you know I yeah I mean I took a policy class in grad school Mm -hmm. I wasn't that interested but I was like it can't be that hard and it wasn't was it no, policy is really not that hard. I mean, if you're trying to be inclusive, yeah, it's a little bit harder because you're trying to satisfy everybody. But, you know, I think also we have, you have to just be realistic if you're trying to really be effective. Yes, that is true. And and I, I think as a policy professional, I feel like there probably should be a little bit more attention paid to that mm-hmm. craft in itself in so many sectors, right? Because I think a lot of in private sector corporates, they don't necessarily recognize it, that policy is people at the end of the day. And so to make that connection between what it is that you're doing and the impact, there is this kind of nuance of how do you actually craft it and implement. And so I think a lot of policy falls very short on the implementation side. Because I can, I remember in my, in most of my experience, we would, not most, much of my experience, we, we create, we do the research, we talk to a lot of people, and then we come out with the policy, and then there were never enough resources to really implement these policies. And I feel like that is exactly the challenge that we're facing in Africa and, and most developing economies is that there's there's this great, you know, effort to make policy, mm-hmm. but there is no effort to make sure that there are trained professionals to be able to actually implement and track and yeah. and ensure the results. Yeah, and from a developed side is that we give money to the same people. Yes. And they don't really actually implement. So you right. see this it's the same issue yes. but 
different and then the yeah. thing is too when it comes to gender that's always added at the end and then people skimp mm-hmm. on it because they're like oh yeah I guess we should consider the women and girls but the money has already been set mm-hmm. and gender should have been at the very top right you right. know, should you know, yeah. as you're listing your policies, how does it affect all the all the players? Like right. to your point, right? So it's always interesting because when I got into the women's economic empowerment space, that's yeah. one thing I always would see. It's like you know, everybody's so worried about all the little boys and the men, and it's like, mm-hmm. well, they won't have anybody to talk to <laughs> <laughs> if women aren't carried along. And then, you know, yeah. you also hear the argument in the U.S. where there's always stuff for men and we offer women and there's nothing for for guys and I said I think it's just a matter of how you look at the issue there are are a lot of programs that are a lot more women focused yep but I think the thing is is that we also have to change our narrative where well why can't men have that too why are we only allowing women to be you know soft and open and we're not Mm -hmm. encouraging young Mm -hmm. men and Mm -hmm. you know and, and older men to also be to to talk about their own emotions right. you know we're starting yeah. to see yeah. a lot you see that internal struggle with a lot of people but you're starting to see that specifically within men yeah and how does yeah. that po- okay. and what does that work in a policy perspective mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. thinking about actually both people being equal which sure. is what people don't sure. think about either sure like one somebody's always better than somebody or someone's always being more oppressed which yes there, that does happen mm-hmm. I would never say oh no you know but no it's like we don't look at if there's it, like we don't look at the same we don't look at the same issue but we don't think about how it's expressed differently mm-hmm. you know women are oppressed mm-hmm. because why x y and z mm-hmm. well why do men feel that way well let's talk about the societal issue where mm-hmm. that comes from you know mm-hmm. and actually mm-hmm. we're looking mm-hmm. at that mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. here we are well fortunately we have like this whole new space in the dei space that i think is right. is really focused on doing that work so i think the next I think the next three to five years are going to be an interesting time to watch in in whether or not there was actual muscle behind the DEI. Yeah, because a lot of people are just putting money towards it like they do everything. Yes. You know, and it's like, yeah, I had DEI training. I don't remember anything about it. Exactly. Or we had a EDI. No, so now somebody's dyslexic. Okay, so y'all didn't. (laughs) You're like, that's not the same training. Right. You know, or they just hire somebody. Yeah. Just to hire them. Maybe sometimes it's just moving someone to another space. And it's, even it doesn't make sense if you have DEI, you hire an African-American woman who happens to be queer, who happens to not be married, who may have a child. And it's like you're checking off all the boxes instead of actually creating this well-rounded Sure. Exactly. Exactly. So we shall see. I've been having quite a few conversations with professionals Mm -hmm. in that space. And they're busy. Yeah. They are really busy. And I asked the question about, you know, so what's the after? And so, I mean... We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. So I'm glad you brought up the, you know, started to segue into your your work here in Ghana. Mm-hmm. And so you started working in the policy space, and I and I'm assuming you're still doing a little bit of that. But how did you now come to your brainchild, your your your, your entrepreneurship in crescendo? So for me. Um, when I was working in the ag policy space, they would have these panels where they would bring professionals from all around the world to do a tour of the U.S. government branches. And they would mm. always go to state first mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're mm-hmm. like, they would ask all these questions like, no, that's USDA. No, mm-hmm. that's Treasury or no, mm-hmm. that's whoever. And we would always get women in ag. And so I would always be the ag representative for my company. Mm-hmm. I mean, for my 
office at the time and I always heard the same thing of like oh I don't have a place to scale up my production mm. you know I'm mm-hmm. always stuck doing stuff in my home you know or I don't have the money to be able to buy the equipment that I need now you know going back to 2015 when I did this German Marshall Fund the GMF stuff I was I after we were done I took a trip to Amsterdam to see a good friend of mine and I saw a store that had a different menu by a different vendor every night. And you mm. just placed your order in and you came and picked it up. I love that. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I was like, oh, that would be cool to be able to implement in the States, but uh-huh. making it something for black and brown you know, companies. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it. And then when I, after having have worked in Ghana in 2018 and meeting women from different parts of the continent at this point in time, telling me about X, Y, and Z, I said, you know, if I ever got a chance to come back to Ghana, I will, maybe I'll start it. And, you know, you think of it in a way where like, oh, I'll start it when I have like another job that's doing X, Y, and Z. And then the pandemic happened and that was, and I was like, you know what, now's the time. Right. And so at first we were a shared, you know, strictly shared commercial kitchen spaces. Okay. You know, and we're in, and I thought like, that's what I'm going to do. And then I started to see gaps within the incubators that were here in Ghana. No, when you say the incubators, the food incubators or just generally just general, incubators? general incubators. Yeah. Now, there is an ag incubator here, so I would never say where there are any ag incubators. That's not true. Okay. But they do a lot more training, right? Okay. There aren't any commercial kitchen spaces. And the reason why we're, we're tackling commercial kitchen spaces is because when you think about it, if you're a person who's a caterer, you want to try to expand your business. A lot of people want to get into the exporting business of their mm-hmm, food mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you need a certain type of equipment that can cost you you know anywhere from 20,000 USD yeah. to over 100,000 depending on what you're trying to do and I decided all right well we can do a mixture of both and the, really the idea has evolved and the term crescendo really is kind of a tribute to my own yes. personal background right now it makes sense yes yeah, so it makes sense right <laughs> crescendo and music yes. theory means to gradually increase yeah and so i um through a food boot camp for up-and-coming entrepreneurs in 2021 okay and that was the beginning of it and we we're really remote for the whole year yeah. putting together these workshops we launched an e-course for people who wanted to enter into the Ghana food industry, we have an ebook for that. Um, we're actually getting ready to launch that course now in Google Classroom for, oh, you know, nice. in the beginning of 2023. Mm-hmm. And of course, the biggest thing here is always space. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I felt it was since we have been working with a lot of chefs, we work with a lot of food restaurants, caterers, and sometimes they just ask, you know, consult, ask me to consult on product Mm. development or Mm -hmm. somebody may ask hey I need a chef do you know anybody Mm -hmm. or you know a chef may say I need your help helping me to plan an event you know so we do all these things and really what I thought about is is what crescendo is is that we're actually all these things like yeah you come in and use the share commercial kitchen space but you can also go through a training you can also just ask us to help or sometimes you just need an event space you know and then also thinking about it from the perspective what if you don't even do any of these things so we are now launching like a shared co-working space of just desk and stuff for people and because we're in West Lagon there's nothing over there right right so it helps out helps out a lot also you just may want to sit and eat and so we're putting combining Mm. things together that if Mm -hmm. you're a commercial you know if you're a restaurant and you need a place to set up during the day we have customers who can purchase your food because a lot of these incubators you gotta leave 
and bring right. her, you know, and yeah. or yeah. if 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 anything, it may just be a person that you don't want to eat from, and we'll have multiple mm. vendors in one space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's nice. That's so, a great idea. Yeah. yeah. So definitely, um, if you know, we're launching. You know, we're in the middle of renovations and yeah. all that and hoping to launch our, our space, Lord willing, next month. Okay. And, but it's it's been fun. You know, it's also hard because, you know, something new, you don't have anyone else to ask. I mean, you could sure. ask some of these tech yeah. incubators and then their mind starts to think like, well, you're trying to take over my territory. In a, in a way, yeah. but then they're like, not really. And a lot of them just do trainings, but they mm. don't actually do specific food trainings. It's always about farming. Yes. Everybody focuses on farming. Yes. Everyone focuses on import export. It's not saying yes. those things aren't important. Yes. But we focus on food service. Oh, so okay, we right. actually focus on people who are doing hospitality in a lot yes, of ways. Yes. Yeah. And we're not we don't do customer service. Right. But we're talking about food safety. Yeah. We're talking about product development, recipe costs. Ah, yeah. so like if you're planning a restaurant, mm-hmm. you need to understand like this is what it's going to cost you on an ongoing basis yes. to serve these kinds of meals. Mm-hmm. Ah. And just or even if you're a baker, yeah, and you're just a baker. So we really get into the technical part, and that is allows me to be able to be creative, and also to use my expertise and my network of pulling yeah. people together. And you know, a lot of times people come in the space they'll have foreigners out the wazoo hmm. and I'm like there's plenty of food scientists who are in Ghana you just have to find them and I know a couple of them sure so we kind of rely on each other to tell each other what's going on but yeah. also I bring them in to help them they end up meeting other clients or mm-hmm. you know or just someone who's interested in that space and sure. some people don't even know there's like a you know what does Nestle do well Nestle definitely does have product developers here right you know and you just have yeah. to find them so it's been a very rewarding some yet stressful yeah. um, venture but yeah. you know once we launch I know it's going to be crazy but we've had events we hosted Jadena when he oh, came okay. here we yeah. did a private dinner we did a collaboration with a chef we're actually getting ready to host a few universities that are doing study abroad programs here okay. in food nice. you know so oh, doing some okay. yeah so it's not you know I mean yeah. yes there's people like I just want a nice fight and the thing is even if we do these events we're not just putting together local food and it's served on a plate it's like it's really a fine dining experience mm-hmm. which you don't mm-hmm. see mm-hmm. in the local space you know you sure. so you know a lot of the time it's more foreign right so we're actually right. trying to have a space specifically for chefs who are doing indigenous yeah kinds of yeah meals. indigenous they want to have the whole fancy napkin mm-hmm. or they're doing their own fusion and, mm-hmm. to be, and that's not a wedding because that's mm-hmm. the other thing the only time you see that is at a wedding Mm-hmm. And this may just be mm-hmm. like, hey, I just want to expose it to a group of people who have the money to afford it. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we really have created this niche space mm-hmm. of, what, of what we're doing. And then when it comes to people who have kids, they'll be launching like classes for kids. That's great. Yeah. That's and we're exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of lots of food. We're actually, um, you know, our hope is to do something for Thanksgiving. We're calling it Friendsgiving. Okay. We'll be having a Friendsgiving thing coming up in November and probably um, a cookie exchange. I used to do Christmas cookie exchanges all the time. Okay, that sounds great. Thanks for joining us for part one of my conversation with Dr. Juanita Lewis. Be sure to come back next time when you'll learn a lot more about Dr. Juanita's journey in Ghana, in the U.S., and as a yogi. And as always, please do catch us each and every Tuesday with new episodes at 
localcitizenspod.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon. You get the drift. Like, share, subscribe. Leave us a review, please. And until next time, bye for now.